Geoglitch and welcome back to Geoglitch Ministries or welcome to Geoglitch Ministries if it is your first time. I hope you find today's sermon enjoyable but more so I hope you find it edifying and even convicting. If you are a non-believer I hope you stick around and I hope that God uses this sermon in your life to bring you to the faith. God bless and enjoy. So this is sort of a part two to the uh, the last one in a way. Um, and this is when it comes to Hosea now so far I've done verse I've done chapter 3 in one go I've done chapter 7 plus the last verse of chapter 6 in one go and now I'm about to do chapter 8 in one go now chapter 3 I think was fair enough it was only 5 verses long um, there's nothing wrong with doing entire chapters in one go I think sometimes it may be almost necessary like with for example possibly genealogies um or, at least for me anyway, or um, something like chapter 3, this book's only 5 verses long. So sometimes it's going to happen, but with something that's like 14 verses long like this, I don't know. Uh, I've already decided with the Jude series, it's interesting, I've done 3 studies so far. Um, Luke, I've only done 2 chapters off, so we'll be getting that, back to that after Hosea. Jude, which I finished, I've already decided I'm going to go back and redo because I had such a good time doing it, I want to do it again. At some stage. And this, I think I'm going to redo Jose at some stage. Because there's some things I've done that I don't really... You know, I'm a bit iffy on. Maybe I didn't do things quite the way I think I should have. Nothing too terrible. If it was, I'd take it down and just redo it immediately. Uh, or I'd never post it and read You know, I'd look over and think, no, I don't like this. And just redo it before I post it. But I, I think I've, I've handled everything okay. But there are some things I definitely could have done better. So I think I, I'll, Jose is probably something I will be having another look at at some stage um if not for this then even just for my own personal self i guess anyway as i said let's say we're doing another entire chapter in today's message the chapter is chapter eight and the message is of course the wrath of god is earned and this is something i briefly touched on last time we were talking about the wrath of god um and this time i want to talk about how the wrath of god is earned before we read chapter 8, I'm going to read one verse from chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 2. But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them, they are before my face. Keep that in mind. And as well, when we're talking about the wrath of God, the go to sections of scripture I always go to are Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. Chapter 19, verses 23 to 29, that's the um, the fall in chapter 3, then the flood in 6 to 9, and in chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, and sons are incinerated, and Acts 5, 1 to 11, that's Ananias and Sapphira. So they're the, the sort of the go-to. If, if you hear me, if you hear my messages on God's wrath or on... Well, yeah, just on God's wrath, God's judgment, God's justice. I'll probably mention them a lot. There are more, but those are just the ones I think to go to a lot of the time. So I'm not going to be going and reading through them again. Um, but if you're interested in learning more about this, and it's just for yourself, go and read those sections of scripture. Or read a lot of the prophets, really, because a lot of the prophets do talk about this, like Hosea. Anyway, enough talking about Hosea. Let's go through it. We're doing chapter 8, verses 1 to 14, so the entire chapter. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cried, my God, we, Israel, know you. 
Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their, with their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel a craftsman made it. It is not of God. A calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. Or, or shall go up in, in flames. Is my way of rendering that. For they sow the wind. And they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were so... If, if, if it were to yield, excuse me. Strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up already. They are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations. I will soon gather them up, gather them up and the king and the princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim, the multitude, altars for sinning. They have become to him altars for sinning. Were I, were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would regard as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces. And Judah has multiplied forfeited cities. So I will send a fire upon the cities and it shall devour her strongholds. Today, like I say, the message is the wrath of God is earned. A sort of part two to last time, which was just titled The Wrath of God. I also said last time, I'll say it again. The book of Hosea is not simply a book of God's wrath, though that is in there. The book of Hosea is a long list of reasons as to why God's wrath should have come a long time before. Now, that's not me saying should in the sense of God was too slow or, you know, come on, God, hurry up, what are you asking? Or me saying I know better. That's not should as in God did it wrong. That's me simply trying to articulate that had God wanted to do, you know, had, what had God wanted to show his wrath to these people a long time before now, he would have been completely justified in doing so. And that's the thing with the wrath of God. People are so afraid, terrified to talk about God's wrath. Well, if, if, if we talk about God's wrath, we might make him seem mean. Well, God spoke about God's wrath and he didn't have, seem to have any such fears. God spoke about his own wrath quite openly and he was fine with people knowing about it, knowing about him, knowing that he was capable of wrath and of anger. He didn't seem to have any problem telling people, yes, my wrath comes upon the sinner. No problem with it. 
He didn't seem to pace up and down. There's no part of the scripture says he paces up and down his tone room going, oh no, what have I done? Have I, have I made myself seem mean? It's not a worry for God. He says, here, here who I, here, here's who I am. Excuse me. He says, here's who I am. So he doesn't stumble over himself like I do. He says, here's who I am. This is me. This is my characteristics. This is what I'm like. This is what I do. He doesn't ask, is that okay with you? Is there anything you'd like to change? He doesn't say to the Christian, now I know that's a bit hard to swallow. So uh, if you like, I could just like stop being who I am for a while, if that would make you more comfortable. He doesn't say that. The only way to get comfortable with who God is, is not to change him into something else. It's to realize who he is and get comfortable with it. If we're uncomfortable with the way God is, we change ourselves and our attitude towards God. We don't change God. We don't well, we can't change God, but we don't change the way we see God in the sense of we change what attributes of his we wish to accept as proper and which, one, which ones we wish to reject. We accept them all and we change the way we see his attributes, but we don't change it in the sense of I'm going to ignore this and exemplify that. We don't ignore his wrath and focus on his love. We focus on his wrath, his love, his justice, all of it, and we say, yes, I accept this. And I love this. Because it's all part of God. The interesting thing about a lot of people who say they they love um, someone, a lot of the time, here's the thing, with, with love, um, of course people say, oh, love is love, all this stuff. People, love is quite complex. Part of loving someone is working out what to do with their flaws, what to do with what's wrong with them. And there's really two ways to handle it. And it depends on the flaw. Some flaws are minor, they're minute. You love someone despite it and you don't really pay much attention. It's something they've decided on. They, maybe it's something like smoking. They know the risks. They know they shouldn't be doing it. But they've decided to. It's their life. They're not blowing smoke in anyone's face. They're not hurting anyone else. It's their own, it's their own life. They, have, they, they know the risks. They've decided to do that. You might be worried about them. But you still love them despite that flaw. Another flaw would be something a lot worse. We we'll say alcoholism, not just drinking alcohol, but alcoholism. Let's say someone's a notorious drunk driver. They have 10 whiskeys, I don't know. And then they get behind the wheel of a car and just go racing down the road. You don't just ignore that because not only are they hurting themselves, they're putting a lot of other people in danger. So that's when you sit the person down and you talk about their flaws. So there's two ways to respond to people's flaws when you love them. Either you acknowledge it, but acknowledge your love for that person despite it, and you allow them to do it, ensuring that they know the risks. Or you sit them down and you say, no, this cannot be allowed. And so it's sort of working out what you do. That, that, and that's one of the, the best ways to show love is, is properly working out how to do which one of those you choose to do and which one you choose in whichever situation you're in. But with God, we got someone without flaws. We got someone who would never put us in that situation. We'd never have to look at God who is perfect and say, okay, do I let this go or do I confront him about it? There is nothing like that in God. There's nothing like that in him. God is perfect and we we don't have to do that at all. The best parts of God is every part of God. And yet, 
people have an easier time confronting their idea of God as if he were flawed than they do confronting people in their own lives who are actually flawed. Which is everyone, but in different degrees, of course. Someone who has an alcoholic in the family, and that alcoholic, is, he gets violent or whatever, will maybe not have the backbone to sit the person down and say, look, you've got a problem and I love you and I, I hate to see what this is doing to you, we need to fix this. They might not have the courage to do that. But they will look at God and they'll say, all right, this says here, this Bible thing says here that you have wrath. I don't like that. We're changing that. People are, people are so comfortable with God in, in, in the wrong sort of a way, I think. Now, we should be comfortable with God, but there's comfort. And then there's comfort that goes beyond comfort and it leaves reverence behind. We should be comfortable with God, of course, but we should have reverence and respect, recognising that, yes, he is our father, but he's also our king. And to a certain degree, we, we have comfort with him. We have comfort knowing he is good and loving and just. But there's a certain extent to which comfort can go, and which we sort of just forget the reverence, we forget the, the honour, we forget the fact that he's king. We acted like he's just our pal. God is my pal theology. And a lot of people have that today. And part of that is ignoring the wrath of God. Because we don't like it. Because it's something that can be used against us. The love of God, as far as sinful man is concerned, can't be used against him. Except, of course, for the fact that God loves justice and therefore hates sin and man is a sinner. But, as long as you don't use your brain too much, the love of God isn't something that can be used against us. The goodness of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, they can't be used against us. So that's who God is. But the wrath of God, even the justice of God, that can be used against us and often is. I don't like that, so that's not who God is now. I mean, he's been the same since the beginning of time. He's been the same since before the word before had an actual meaning. He's always been the same. And there's never been a problem with it. But now I'm here, so things have to change. In our attempt... To make God seem palatable. Some people have taken to attempting to save God from an image of God that was given to them by God. God did not make a mistake when presenting himself to humanity, when presenting himself in his word. He did not make a mistake. He's not sitting up in heaven going, I really wish I hadn't said that. That's who he is. He's perfect. And part of that perfection is his wrath. And that wrath is earned. 
I read to you that verse from chapter 7, but they do not consider that I remember all their evil. God's wrath is not just him deciding I want to be angry today. It comes from the fact that people are evil. And God remembers their evil, and so he must act on it because he is just. beginning of chapter 8 set the trumpet to your lips one like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law the one who is over the house of the Lord is the Lord he is the one who is like a vulture swooping around ready to bring down his judgment not because he feels like doing it not because of some whim of his will because they have transgressed the covenant the mercy um sorry not the mercy the wrath of god is explained time and again people don't want to talk about the wrath of god because they might make him seem mean the only way you can talk about the wrath of god and make him seem mean is if you have no idea what you're talking about because the wrath of God is portrayed in the Bible always as purely just. It is caused here not by God just deciding I want to punish somebody. But by a God who chapter 7 made clear a number of times was on the verge of forgiving, of being merciful when the people he was going to forgive messed it up for themselves. And God remembers evil. God is hovering over the land of Israel because Israel brought this upon themselves. He's waiting to swoop down and punish them. Despite the fact he is merciful. Because, and that's not to say his mercy is being put away or his mercy is irrelevant or anything like that. He's still truly merciful. But he's coming down to show judgment because of his righteousness. Because of their sin. And his mercy is not damaged by this. His mercy is not called in question by this. His mercy is not challenged by his wrath. Because he is perfectly merciful and perfectly wrathful and perfect overall. His two natures, can, or two of, not his two natures, but two of his characteristics cannot contradict each other. Two of the things that make up who he is cannot work against each other. And so while we may think of wrath and mercy as being two opposites and in ways they are, with God they work together perfectly, though not in the same extent at the same time, though he's always truly merciful and truly righteous and truly wrathful and so on. And, like I said, Jose is just a list of reasons as to why Israel deserves God's wrath. We go to verse 4. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. The end of verse 5. 
how long will they be incapable of innocence? Verse 6. For it is from Israel, a cra- talking about an idol, a craftsman made it, it is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. Someone in Israel is making false gods for other people now. People of God are making false gods for themselves and for others. And those gods should be broken into pieces or uh, shall go up in flames, is another way of saying it. The calf of Samaria, obviously drawing parallels to when Moses came down the mountain um, and found that everyone was worshipping a big golden calf because he'd left for like five minutes and they thought, oh, well, I guess that's that then. That's the heart of sinful man. Any opportunity he gets, he will abandon God. Thus incurring God's wrath. But he does incur it. It doesn't just come upon him. He earns it. It doesn't just happen to him. They sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. Says verse 7. Sowing and reaping... Unfortunately, that language has been adopted by the prosperity crowd to mean give me money and God will pay you or make you healthy or something. Whatever it is you happen to want. He's, he's all purposes. Swiss, Swiss Army God, if you will. He'll do anything for you, but I digress. It is biblical language. It's just been adopted by non-biblical people. Um, but sowing and reaping, of course, is at the heart of justice. It's at the heart of righteousness. So sin, reap punishment. So virtue, reap reward. They're sowing and reaping. They're sowing the wind and reaping a whirlwind or you know, destructive force. The wind being their sin, the whirlwind being punishment. By their sin, they are bringing God's wrath upon themselves. God's wrath is something you have to work for. You don't just get it. It's almost like a commodity in a way. You don't just get it given to you. You have to work for it. The people of Israel were working very hard to get it. They were putting in overtime. They were doing everything they could to bring the wrath of God down upon themselves. Though they didn't realise it. Perhaps some of them did. Didn't care. Oh, we're God's people. We'll be fine. Maybe that was going around. That idea. For they've gone up to Assyria. Again, we see Assyria mentioned. This is the beginning of verse 9. They've gone up to Assyria. Assyria would later destroy them. They're relying not on God, who has already done so much for them and will do so much for them in the future, but instead on Assyria, who, next time they meet, will scatter the ten tribes. Something which will never be undone. Ephraim also in verse 9 has hired lovers. Lovers obviously going back to the sort of whore um, terminology. Like with Hosea and his wife. They've hired lovers in that they've just gone off to find other gods. Hiring could be, you know, the, uh, the, the gold they melt down to make the idols or whatever it is. The resources they use to make the idols. If that's all the idols are is just... Materials, 
Remember in verse 4, or in, um, excuse me, in chapter 4, in verse 12. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking sticks give them oracles. That's what we're dealing with here. These aren't proper gods. These are just, these are children's toys. These are dolls. Given the status of God, while the one true God looks on in anger. They are earning God's wrath. Remember, the Bible says the wage of sin is death. The wage of sin, death comes around as a wage of sin. Death is earned by your sin. It doesn't say death just sort of happens to you. Ah, well, it says no, sin caused death. Now, some people die very young, and perhaps in the womb, perhaps as infants before they actually can sin. So it's not always the person's own personal sin that leads to um, physical death. It's the sin of Adam. Although the person's own personal sin does lead, if that person is saved, to the death of Christ. Or if the person is not saved, to their own second death in the lake of fire. And so in that way, sin leads to both the first death and the second death and the death of Christ. Because that's how serious sin is. And you have people here sinning multiple times an hour, every hour of every day that they're awake. And you have God who hates sin because he is just and righteous. And so they are earning God's wrath. He isn't just looking at them, going about, going about their day, not doing much wrong and deciding, you know what, I don't like the cushion on today, burn. He's not doing that. He is looking at sinful people with judgment because they are working hard to earn that judgment. He's looking on them with wrath because they are working hard to earn that wrath. Verse 11 says that Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning. And they've become to him altars for sinning. They're coming up with more and more ways to sin, more and more places to sin. They're in what's the word? Inven in inventive or intuitive? Not it's not that it's whatever it is. You only discover something new. Um, ingenuity, possibly. They're they're just they're, they're being creative. They're coming up with new ways to sin. They're coming up with new methods for sin. They're coming up with new places to sin. As much sin as they can get in. After all that, God's only at the point of warning them. He hasn't even put out at this stage. They're gone past the point of return. But he's not punishing them yet. He's still doing them the courtesy, the kindness to warn them. To tell them what's going on through Hosea. So there is still some kindness. The whole book of Hosea itself is a kindness to the Israelites. It's a kindness to these people. So while it does display God's wrath within its pages, the fact that it exists is a testament 
to his mercy and to his kindness. Verse 12, where I write for him my laws to him, referring to Ephraim, where I write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they, were, they would be regarded as a strange thing, the laws of God, which every Jew grows up knowing. A lot of them memorize them, I believe. If they were to appear before these people, they think, oh, what's this? I don't know what this is, what's this? That's how foreign they are to God. They don't even know his laws anymore. They don't even know which of his rules they're breaking because they don't know what his rules are. That's a little regard they have for God anymore. It's not, I know your rules and I don't care. It's, I care so little about you, I'm not even going to bother looking into what your rules are. Verse 13, as for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. And again, now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins for, um, and they shall return to Egypt. They shall return to Egypt. Um, talking about captivity in Babylon and so on. And return being a reference to the Exodus. And again, we see verse 2, chapter 7, but they do not consider, I remember all their evil. In verse 13, now I will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Not, I'll punish them just for the crack. I will remember their iniquity and punish them for their sins. I will punish them because they've earned it. And finally, verse 14, for Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon these cities and shall devour his strongholds. They're relying on their own selves, not on God to keep themselves safe. So God will get rid of what they're relying on. And they're not relying on them anymore because at the beginning of the verse it says they've forgotten their maker. They've forgotten who made them. They've forgotten the Lord. They care so little about him that they just forgot about him. And so before I go, I will remind you, as always, not to stray away from the Lord. And I will remind you to be thankful to the Lord because you have earned his wrath time and again more than anyone could ever know except for God. And yet, you're still alive, which is a sign of his mercy towards you. And if you are saved, that's definitely a sign of his mercy towards you. So remember to give him thanks and don't complain when the perfect God isn't perfect enough for you. I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you would like some other ways of consuming G Witch Ministries, then go to the links in my About section on my YouTube channel, and you will find my website, my TikTok, my Instagram, and my Spotify, where you can find either snippets of these sermons or the full sermons. If you would like to finance these sermons or help me monetarily, then you can also find my Patreon. You don't have to do this, but it would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for watching. God bless. And son of a